Welcome to the Sharp Angles Betting Podcast. I'm Ryan McChrystal here with Mark DeRosa heading into week two. Mark, are you ready for some week one overreactions? Yes, sir. I'm ready. All right. So, you know, as we said, there's going to be some overreactions to week one, which in some ways makes week one my, or heading into week two, it makes this my favorite week of the year, in some ways my least favorite. Because on one hand, we have a huge opportunity this week to identify trends very early. We can potentially get out in front of some stuff that we notice happening in week one. And if we think it's going to be a legit trend moving forward, maybe we can be ahead of the public. Maybe we can be ahead of the odds makers and gain a real edge this week. Now, that said, the downside to reacting to one week is some of what we think is going to be a trend is obviously not going to be a trend. And we're going to have some bad whiffs in week two as we try to find these. But it's, you know, it's probably the most exciting week of the year, at least to me, for that reason, because you know, it's worth going through every team and trying to see what they did in week one. There's so many, so many opportunity to see what these teams may have changed this offseason, how personnel may have changed, what they're looking to do. So it's it's an exciting week. And so with that, I want to lead off with a little discussion on the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, partially based on what happened in the game, partially because it was, there was one bet in that game that we went head to head on last week. Mark, you came out on top. You took Najee Harris over on rushing yards. I took the, or I'm sorry, I took the over on rushing yards. Mark, you won taking the under. He fell about 10 yards short, depending on where you, we got that line. Um, if you told me last week on our show that the Steelers were going to win fairly comfortably late in the game and Harris was going to have 16 carries, I would have said I'm easily hitting the over on the 56 and a half yards that it was available at because that's only 3.5 yards a carry on 16 carries. And if they're winning, he's probably had some success running the ball. That's not how it went. And so, you know, that's, that's in one hand, it's not too surprising because as we discussed, and it was one of the, your main reasons for liking the under was that their offensive line is terrible. You know, I thought that, you know, based on the matchup, the bills had some struggles running again, uh, defending 11 personnel rushing last year. That's what the Steelers like to do. You know, they've, got this rookie running back. They're going to try to establish the run. I thought maybe they'd be stubborn about it. As it turns out late in the game with the Steelers up by 10, uh, they had, the, it was about four minutes left. They had a nine play drive and they ran the ball twice. They were both Harris handoffs, but they only ran the ball two out of those nine plays. And to me, that is a huge flag saying this is a legitimate trend. The Steelers have already abandoned the run game. And I think that's something that we can already look at as a trend that it has been established after just one week. Mark, what do you think about that? Well, I think uh, as far as the bet goes, sometimes it's better to be lucky than to be good. And if you had told me, you know, just like you said at the top of the show, if you had told me that um, the Steelers would have won the game and had been up by a comfortable margin in the fourth quarter, I would tell you my bet was probably toast. So uh, I'd say I got a little lucky on that one. Um, But yeah, you know, I think, um, I think it could be a trend going forward. They obviously don't have any, confidence um in their running game or maybe it's just they have a little bit more confidence in their short passing game you know when you're up that that late in a game and uh you know you're trying to run the clock out you know we had we would never see this five years ago but now nowadays we're seeing teams that are willing to uh you know go to the air to run the clock out um so that's the only caution that i would have there um it's it's hard to tell with the steelers team you know they only ran 53 offensive plays 
in the whole game. Um, and Harris still got 16 carries. So I think that there will be spots where um, they're going to be have a more run heavy game plan and maybe the offensive line can gel a little bit better as the season goes on. But definitely early in the season, I think you're going to see them continue to struggle until they make some improvements. Yeah, agreed. Even though I think that's a legitimate trend, it's not one that I'm necessarily going to go back to immediately. They play the Raiders this week. The over-under for Harris's yards is 76.5, so it actually shoots up pretty significantly, but it's a pretty bad Raiders defense, we think. So, you know, even at a higher number, I'm not necessarily going to go with the under this week. It's not one that we're going to talk about in depth later on the show, but thought I'd just throw it out there because it does seem to be a trend uh, based on how they handled late in that game. Um, so, Mark, what are, what are some other things that you saw happening in week one that you think may be legitimate trends we should pay attention to? Yeah, so everybody wants to talk about, you know, what happened with Green Bay and New Orleans, and I'll talk about that in a few minutes. But the one result that really, really stuck out to me was the result in the Philadelphia-Atlanta game. Um, you know, leading into the season, expectations were not very high for, for really either team, but especially for Philly. I mean, they were lined at uh, six and a half wins, uh, you know, shaded on the over. But, um, you know, the story with Philly coming into the year was that Jalen Hurts wasn't a very good quarterback and that organization was trying to get rid of him and you know, nobody really likes him there. Um, and all he did was come out and have uh, his best game ever. I mean, he completed 77% of his passes in the game. Uh, you know, he only started four games last year, but um, his best completion percentage in any game last year was 56%. Um, he had 12 sacks in those four games and he only took one in this game. Um, you know, they looked pretty phenomenal. It's a very complete effort on offense and defense. Um, you know, they had a DVOA offensively of 22% and uh, defensively, they're even better, you know, negative 32%. So, um, so yeah, I was really, really impressed with the Eagles this week. Um, I think that maybe last year was a bit of an aberration. Maybe uh, Carson Wentz was just really that awful, and plus they had all the offensive line troubles. But, you know, they, um, they were actually taking calls on their offensive line depth uh, because they were so happy with their depth on the offensive line heading into the year. Um, so Philly's not a team that I would sleep on. That result is really kind of striking to me. And on the flip side of that, um, you know, I thought that Atlanta obviously looked terrible. I think they got a lot of credit coming into the season because they had Arthur Smith as their new head coach. You know, they are stuck with Matt Ryan. And at this point, he's 36 years old. They're cap committed to him for this year and probably next year, too. Um, you know, a lot of quarterbacks get to be that age and they fall off a cliff. Uh, I know we're kind of conditioned to the Tom Brady, Tom Brady success story. Um, but he is, uh, he's the exception to the rule. So, um, you know, Matt Ryan looked terrible yesterday, you know, 4.7 yards per attempt. He took three sacks and they didn't even score a touchdown. Or, I'm sorry, not yesterday, but this week. Uh, so uh, anyways, um, I was actually so impressed by Philly. I bet some futures. Um, I bet uh, 50, I added some 50 to one uh, to win the NFC. I was really uh, happy with that bet. I think you can still get like, I think I saw FanDuel had like 38 and uh, a couple other places had 30s that were hung. I really like that bet. I think that they have a very winnable division, um, especially with Washington losing a quarterback. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I had bet a little bit of Philly before the season, just some off numbers. And now I'm, I'm really happy with those positions. So um, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, a lot of times these quarterbacks take a year two leap. 
um, especially the ones that were really terrible. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Hertz, he wasn't really that good last year, but uh, he sure played well on Sunday. So, um, so yeah, I was, I was really impressed with what I saw in Philly. Um, the other game I thought was very interesting or had an interesting result was the Jacksonville and Houston game. And uh, obviously Urban Meyer looked terrible <laughs> as a coach. Uh, he was my pick for coach of the year. He's kind of making me look like a fool unless he can turn it around pretty quickly. Um, Houston, I, I think we talked about this last week on the show. I liked Houston on the side, but I was a little hesitant to really get too involved because I really thought that as, a, as an organization, they could possibly be tanking um, due to the number of aging veterans that they signed just to try to, you know, fill some space for the year. That still may be the case, but I'll tell you what, man, I couldn't be more happy for Tyrod Taylor. I feel like that guy's gotten the short end of this stick for his entire career. Uh, you know, he played pretty much the game of his career. I mean, he really balled out. Uh, so Tyrod's definitely trying to win. Um, I really think that, uh, you know, it's, it's not time to panic in Jacksonville yet, but uh, it was pretty on point with what we've seen in the off season uh, as to, you know, expecting a college coach to come into the NFL with uh, overconfidence and, you know, not do so well. So, um, so yeah, I thought that was an interesting result. Um, everybody likes to talk about the green Bay new Orleans game. And uh, that was a very interesting game. Uh, to me, the question there is, is Aaron Rodgers done? Um, he's another, you know, getting up there in age along with Matt Ryan. Um, you know, to me, it was kind of striking. He only completed 53% of his passes. He threw a couple of interceptions. I think one of them was on a deep ball, but you know, those are not, you know, they're not so bad. The short ones are the ones that you really worry about, but, uh, you know, 4.8 yards per attempt. He's like 38 years old now. Uh, you got to ask yourself, is he done? Uh, of course he was going against a great defense. And of course he had a game like this last year against Tampa. But um, to me, it's a, it's a very valid question. Uh, I heard a really funny rumor uh, from somebody that I saw somewhere about the possibility of Aaron Rodgers throwing the season because they, they wouldn't trade him. And I, th I thought that was a, a pretty funny, um, pretty funny joke. I don't think that he's throwing the season, but uh, I did want to touch a little bit about uh, the decisions the organization's made over these last few years. I think that their GM has really done a pretty terrible job. Um, and I had a conversation with uh, my friend Scott Barrett uh, this offseason about the Rogers trade situation, um, not reporting to camp. And I, I, I told him, I said, that GM is a fool to not want to trade Rogers, considering what he's been doing uh, as a GM for the last few years. You know, he drafted Jordan Love as a number one uh, first round draft pick, developmental prospect. He sat him for a year. Well, now's the time to start him. Um, and especially in a situation where you can have uh, get multiple first round picks, uh, you know, a bounty of draft picks for Rodgers um, and then have a rookie quarterback or a young quarterback on a rookie contract. You know, that was really a mistake. And if Rodgers comes out this season and lays an egg and they can only get, you know, one first round pick next year or, you know, a second or whatever it is, you know, uh, he's going to really have uh, mud on his face. But um on the New Orleans side, I thought that uh, Jameis, you know, obviously I'm happy that he threw five touchdowns. I bet him to throw the most touchdowns this this season. I bet him for MVP, and I bet him to win Comeback Player of the Year. Um, 
So that was great, but I don't think that's sustainable at all. Um, you know, he had very few pass attempts to get to those five touchdowns and his defense put him in position to where they were constantly right there in the red zone. Um, but I will take it. So. Yeah. All yeah. those games you mentioned are really interesting ones. Just to go back to the conversation about the Eagles a little bit. That's one that I, I sort of am like punting on their week one game. I'm not really going to take a stance on them yet because what really stood out to me was the types of throws Jalen Hurts was making him average depth of target of 9.3 last year. And it was 3.4 in week one. That's such a stark difference. Uh, I'm, so I'm going to give it a little bit more time to see how, the offense really shapes up. Was this purely matchup based? Are they really trying to do something different? I'm, I'm just going to give it time to see what happens. Cause that was unexpected and just such a dramatic shift, but yeah, they looked great. I mean, regardless of what the reason was, it certainly worked for them in week one. So they're definitely trending up moving forward. So let's spin the conversation uh, towards week two, a little bit more uh, just off the top. Have you noticed any line movement uh, that has impacted your thought process this week so far? Yeah. The interesting one, uh, was for the Patriots Jets game this week. You know, it opened Jets uh, plus three and a half, and it's moved all the way across the the four and the five, and now it's sitting at six. And uh, you know, I think Bill Simmons has a thing where he he goes over, he guesses the line every week, and he guessed uh, Patriots minus nine for this for this game. So that kind of tells you maybe where the public is sitting, uh, what they're thinking. I mean, this is. This is two. This is still two rookie quarterbacks on extremely conservative game plans. Um, you know, nine nine points would be way too many points uh, for a low scoring game like that. Uh, I I think that six might be a little bit too much as well. Um, if this game gets anywhere near seven, it's and it's not going to. Uh, but if it does, I'll I'll be all over the Jets plus seven as home dogs to a, a rookie quarterback. I don't care how good of a coach Bill Belichick is. Um, so yeah, that one really stuck out to me. Uh, feels like the public's kind of moving that number from three and a half to six. Um, uh, another one that kind of stuck out uh, was Chicago. You know, they opened at minus three and now they're down to minus two. And uh, I just think that's a little bit of a surprise considering how terrible they played on Sunday night. Um, and that's, you know, it seems like maybe only one point is not that big of a deal, but that's the biggest point to move off of for a bookmaker. So, um, and then the last one that I thought was interesting was uh, the uh, Saints and Panthers game uh, opened uh, Carolina minus two and a half. It's quickly bet up to, or I'm sorry, New Orleans minus two and a half. Now it's sitting at New Orleans minus three and a half. So we've completely crossed the three there. Um, and I'm kind of surprised at this one because I feel like the Panthers maybe were better than their box score showed. And obviously the saints were worse than the box show box score shows. Uh, so, and the saints are dealing with their whole COVID situation this week where they have, you know, a number of coaches that are, you know, not involved. So, um, so yeah, that was a surprising line move um, considering the circumstances. So. Yeah. That movement in the Carolina saints game certainly seems to be a, uh a public reaction to a very high profile saints victory in week one, obviously, you know, if they had beaten somebody else, even by the same score, doing it to Aaron Rodgers gets a lot more attention, more of the public notices definitely could be an overreaction uh, to that week one. these two teams probably as the line, the opening line suggests these two teams are probably much more closely aligned than uh, that week one result would lead us to believe. So now let's talk in this about some bets that we are 
considering or going to place in week two. We're going to start out talking about some lines that we're going to place, and then we'll get into some of the player props, which is really the meat of our conversation. I understand that two teams that you're looking at this week are actually two of the worst teams in the league who faced off. You touched on them briefly, the Jaguars and Texans. Uh, why don't you talk about those two teams and why you think they might be in good spots this week? Sure. So let's talk about the uh, Tyrod Taylor revenge game. Um, you know, he he had that a uh, couple games he started a few years back uh, in Cleveland. Um, you know, I just I love a double digit underdog early in the NFL season. Um, you know, we just don't know a lot about these teams yet. And, um, you know, I think it was a couple of years ago, it was Minnesota and Buffalo. Buffalo went up there and beat Minnesota as like a 17 point underdog early in the year. And, um, you know, logically for me, I've been fading Cleveland all season, all off season. I believe they're overrated. I, when we talked about the Chiefs and the Browns last week, I said, this is the matchup of the two most overrated teams in the league. Um, so I, I have an opinion against Cleveland as it is. Um, I think that Houston's obviously trying to win. Um, Tyrod's obviously trying to win. I think they played a great game. And I just think it's way, way too many points uh, this early in the season. Um, obviously, I think Cleveland should be favored in the game, but uh, 12 and a half or 13 points is just way too many. Um, as far as the, the Jacksonville game, um, you know, six point home underdog to Denver and Teddy Bridgewater. Um, yeah, I know that Jacksonville looked terrible and the Giants look great, but that's just, that's just it really. You know, it's, um, it's a combination of those two. I feel, it feels to me like this should be more along the lines of Jacksonville plus three and a half. Um, that's what I would just a knee jerk reaction. That's what I would make the line. So, um, yeah, I, I think that they're going to hopefully get back to business this week and, uh, you know, really try to hunker down and get a win for Urban. So, yeah, that definitely makes sense. I think having a line a little bit lower would make it a little bit more interesting. I definitely think that Denver, as we talked about in the pod last week, one of the reasons why I gave out Denver uh, as a road favorite against the Giants was basically that they seem to have a really clear cut team identity as a team that wants to play good defense and control the ball. And the Giants are <laughs> kind of a mess on the other side. And this feels very similar. You know, the Jaguars appear to be a mess. But like you said, the last week, the line was three. This week, the line six. That's a big difference for especially when the, the team you like is a team that wants to play ball control and good defense because low scoring game is just inherently going to increase the odds that even if it is a dominant performance, it's going to be close, like you said. Yeah. So do, do you have uh, one other you want to get to? Yeah, yeah. I was going to talk about Philly. They're like my team of the week right now. Um, and as I was making my notes the show the line was three and now it's a shaded three coming you know going down to two and a half um you know I like the Philly side in this game um for all the reasons that I mentioned earlier in the show of why I like Philly um I think that San Francisco is banged up they're on their second week of travel um you know their their cornerback room is looking really really thin their running back room's looking a little thin um you know I just feel like the market is dead wrong on Philly. You know, I kind of think that this game should maybe be closer to a pick them than, you know, the home team getting any kind of points. So, so uh, yeah. And uh, that kind of leads into um, my teaser. I know we were planning to, planning to talk about that later in the show, but I'll just 
Yeah, go for it right now. So, yeah, I mean, if you were going to make a teaser bet this week, uh, it would probably, especially if Philly goes to two and a half, um, Philly with Cincinnati, um, both getting eight or eight and a half. Um, that's pretty much the only teaser situation I can see there. And again, you're, you're crossing the three, you're crossing the seven. Um, hopefully you can find a book that's got even money or minus 110 on those. But um, so, yeah, that's the teaser that I would like this week. Yeah, I think I'm with you on Philly. I, I think it's really, it's more, for me, it's a little bit more about San Francisco and just sort of wondering what's going on there. Obviously, they've had some odd personnel decisions, you know, with the running back decision, Elijah Mitchell taking over when we thought that it was going to be Trey Sermon who would be in that spot if an opportunity came up. Brandon Ayuk not really playing a whole lot, apparently, in the doghouse. My question is, I'm curious what everybody in the locker room thinks about those types of decisions and the fact that they seem to sneak up on everybody who covers the team. I wonder if they snuck up on players in the locker room too. And if that stuff happens and you're not winning, I wonder how the locker room perceives the coaching staff because Shanahan, although around the league, everyone has a pretty high opinion of him. He's only got one good season on his resume. So I wonder, especially if a game like this starts to go sideways, does the, does the locker room perception of him start to change and could that potentially get messy? Now it could go the other way because obviously we have pretty high expectations for them this year. They could have a great season and, you know, this will all be forgotten, you know, by November, December. But that is something that I'm just, I'm not necessarily going to bet on that storyline just yet, but it's something that I'm kind of interested in and maybe we'll, Maybe if this, especially if this game goes poorly for them, maybe I'll start to wonder how that affects them moving forward more. Yeah. Uh, you talk about Trent Sherfield. Um, that's a guy who, if you were watching the preseason, you might've saw it coming uh, or maybe you would just chalk it up to preseason, but you know, him and uh, Trey Lance had such a great connection. Um, of course I thought that IU would be the, you know, the guy who got all the looks on Sunday, but it really wasn't surprising that Sherfield played such a great uh, you know, part, portion of the game. Um, but yeah, uh, Shanahan's doghouse is getting bigger and bigger every year. It feels like. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And it's, it's hard to know. I mean, maybe a lot of guys in the locker room agree with him and it's a non-issue. I, I just don't have a quite good feel for what that is. The fact that it seemed to surprise a lot of beat writers though, makes me wonder a little bit that maybe this is Shanahan doing it completely on his own and that can rub people the wrong way sometimes if those decisions aren't expected. So I'll, let's move along. I'll talk about one of my uh, favorite bets for this week. I like the Chargers as a three-point favorite against the Cowboys. Um, one of the most encouraging things from the Chargers' first game going up against a pretty good Washington pass rush was Herbert was only pressured on 14% of his dropbacks. He was pressured 38% of the time last year. And as I said, they were going up against a pretty good Washington pass rush last year, or at least one that we expect to be good uh, this season. For them to be able to protect Herbert that's huge because he was very productive last year. Despite of that, if they can give him more time and a clean pocket to pick apart defenses and this Cowboys defense isn't very good. If they're not able to get pressure on Herbert, I think he's going to be able to take some deep shots downfield. And I, I think that there's the potential for this game to get really ugly. You know, we saw just last week. Now it's, it's hard to read too much into this number because Tom Brady is so good at getting rid of the ball quickly to avoid pressure, but the Cowboys only got pressure on him 18% of the time. So given the Chargers' success protecting Herbert, the Cowboys' struggles getting pressure on Brady last week, that's potentially a really huge mismatch 
of their offensive line against the Cowboys defensive line. And if, if that plays out, it, it could get ugly for the Cowboys defense. Not only that, but the, the news out recently is uh, no Demarcus Lawrence for quite a while. Uh, so I don't think, I think they lost a couple other linemen as well. So the Cowboys are really, you know, here we are week two and they don't have a defensive line. So, uh, and not only that, uh, to further your point, the Chargers new rookie tackle looked amazing. I mean, yep. amazing uh, against the Redskins or the football team. Yeah. So. Yeah. So that's a, that's a potential mismatch that could really go in our favor for the Chargers. Uh, let's talk about what is probably the game of the week this week now, Ravens, Chiefs. Uh, do you have any strong takes, either a side, total, anything on this game? Yeah, I think that the Ravens are far and away the right side in this game, uh, getting three and a half points. Um, you know, like I said last week, I, I felt like the Browns and the Chiefs were the two most overrated teams in the league. I feel like the Ravens, um, with all the negative news that's come out in the last month between all of the injuries, um, the, the opening week loss to the Raiders, um, you know, the line opened to, uh, Baltimore plus two and a half. And now it's sitting at three and a half. And I just think that that's a huge overreaction to everything that's going on. Um, you know, the Ravens lost to a Raiders team that I think is pretty good. I don't think they're the best team in the league, but I think they're pretty good. Um, it, it's a hard task to go into that stadium and open up the stadium and for, for the first time in front of fans. I don't know if, you know, if you watch that game, the atmosphere was amazing. Um, you know, that was a hard game to win, uh, especially, you know, trying to break in a new running back, you know, that Williams kid, you know, he, uh, ended up getting taken out for the majority of the second half due to not being able to pass protect, but, um, you know, they've, uh, activated, I saw they activated Devonte Freeman today. Um, so, you know, I really think that this is a, just a huge overreaction, um, to, a number of things involving both teams and it's kind of the perfect storm, you know, gun to my head. If I had to make a line on this game, it would be Baltimore minus two, two and a half. So getting three and a half is, is pretty amazing. Yeah, definitely agree with you on that being a tough spot for the Ravens in week one and there possibly being some overreaction to this. And I, I also wonder, I wonder how the chiefs performance plays into that at all because the chiefs certainly, they, they could have looked better. The Browns definitely controlled most of that game. So I, I wonder if, I, I'm sort of nervous to take a side on that because I feel like it, it might be close to a pick So like, I would probably lean the side with you, but I, I just don't have enough confidence. If the chiefs blew out the Browns, they were, or even if they were just more in control of that game, I wonder if the line would be, be a little bit bigger or maybe the line would be pushed that way by the public. And maybe it would be, I would be more enticed by the Ravens side. But for me, if I were going to place a bet on this game, and I'll, I'll phrase it like that because I'm not, I'm not going to do this, but if I had to pick an angle to take, I might take the under. This is the highest uh, total of the week at 56 points right now. Last year they played and it hit 54, so it certainly has potential to get up there. But I found it pretty interesting that both teams played at a pretty slow pace in the week one, especially the Chiefs. They played at the second slowest pace of the week, and as I said, the Browns controlled most of that game. So the Chiefs were playing from behind for a good portion and still played slow. Now, you know, there can be some variance in that from week to week based on matchups and whatnot. But knowing that they were breaking in a new offensive line, uh, I wonder if maybe that was a little bit intentional, just trying to slow the pace down, slow things down to the offensive line, let them gel together a little bit better. 
And I wonder if they're going to be confident enough to pick up the pace in week two. I would kind of, if that was the reason, if, if the logic, if that's the logic that Andy Reid's using, I would kind of hesitate to expect them to pick up the pace significantly. So if they're playing at a slow pace and the Ravens are not a super fast team, they play at the 19th fastest pace, basically right in the middle of the pack in week one. And that's probably about what we would expect for them. This game could be a little bit slower than we expect. And then there's also the possibility, you know, we just, we don't really know what to expect from the Ravens. Obviously we both said, you know, you like the Ravens. I said, I would probably lean that way. I got to at least throw out the possibility though, that their running game is bad moving forward, just because there's so many new faces and whatnot. So I, I do, if this is a blowout, I think it would be a blowout in the favor of the chiefs. And so I, I do think with that being a possible outcome, I think if that happens, it's going to be very difficult. If it's a chief's blowout, I think it would be very difficult for them to hit the over the chiefs. And to get, if you're on the over, you need the Ravens run game to be strong. You need them to be breaking off long runs and making this an up-tempo shootout. And I'm just, you know, given the pace of the play, the possibility that the Ravens aren't able to keep up, I, I think I would lean towards the under, especially with it being a pretty high number right there. Uh, but as I said, that's just, if I had to place a bet this week, that's not one of my more confident ones. So now that we've talked about sides and some totals, let's move on to player props, which as we've mentioned for anyone joining us for the first time, this is where uh, Mark has really made a name for himself in the betting community over the past few years. He's had a lot of success betting player props. And so we're going to spend a good portion of the podcast every week, specifically highlighting some of these that he likes. Um, Now we'll preface this by saying that for player props, this is still pretty early in the week. Player props don't come out, you know, Sunday night, Monday morning, like they do for lines. So there's less time to react, less time to see lines moving and whatnot. Uh, But we'll highlight some that we like at this early part of the process for the week. Uh, Mark, why don't you lead us off talking about a uh, probably little known running back who might have some value for us this week? Sure. So um, Tony Jones Jr., uh, running back for the New Orleans Saints. Uh, He's basically the reason why Latavius Murray got cut. Um, he is the Latavius Murray role, which means that he's kind of the fourth quarter, second half hammer when they're up really big. Um, given that the spread this week is uh, pretty small, they're on the road. Um, I think he's going to see less opportunity, or at least he should see less opportunity than he did in this previous game with the Packers when they got out to that big lead. Uh, you know, the number is 33 and a half rushing yards. Um, you know, I would put him in more in the 20 to 25 range, uh, for this game. So, uh, so yeah, that's my, uh, one of my leans for, uh, for Sunday. Um, the other one that I like is, uh, David Montgomery over on rushing yards. Um, the number is 64 and a half. Um, you know, if there was ever a week to bet him over, this is probably the week they're not going to be favored in many games. Um, they're obviously very committed to making him a part of the game plan. Um, so, you know, barring some kind of injury or you know getting down big time in the game uh even if they do get down big time in the game they're they're still going to run him uh so if you were looking to bet him over this was the week to do it so yeah that certainly makes sense obviously they want to ride him I think we know that that is their preferred uh path for the offense on a weekly basis uh one that I really like and I was really excited I was looking at some uh, leans that I might have even before Lions came out. And this was one I identified and was really excited to see the number on it. I like the under on Jarvis Landry at 67 and a half receiving yards this week. 
one really obvious reason for this is that in week one, he had five targets for 17 air yards. Now, we don't know Darvis Landry as a guy who stretches the field, but he has done that in the past for the Browns, especially last year a little bit after Odell Beckham went down. And of course, Beckham wasn't on the field for the Browns in week one, and he won't be again this week. The fact that they just completely shut him down and used him on those shorter possession rounds, which he's good at, he's going to be efficient. He had five catches on those five targets. Um, but the fact that they took away that the deep ball from him, that's really concerning if you want to bet the over, because you know, I don't think we can assume, especially against the Houston Texans, a game that the Browns could pull ahead early and really lean on the running game. You might need a big catch in order to get that because he might not even see, you know, five, six targets in this game if it goes the Browns way. And I think one of the reasons that we can think that this was probably a legitimate trend as opposed to just uh, just a random blip on the radar based on the matchups and whatnot was that Anthony Schwartz, their third round rookie, uh, he became the deep threat for the offense and he was a track star at Auburn. So they, it seems to be that they drafted him with a very clear plan in mind. He had an average depth of target at 24.8 yards downfield. Uh, so it was clear that he's going to be the guy who stretches the field. You know, maybe Landry sees more, especially with Beckham uh, not out there, but uh, I also have to mention Donovan Peoples-Jones, who only saw two targets last week, but he was on the field as a starter for the majority of the game. He's certainly capable of stretching the field. They've used him in that role in the past. So if they do throw to some others, uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones is certainly a candidate to see some of those as well. Yeah, I, I like that bet. Um, the, the Landry under, especially with, given the the proposed game script that we're looking at with them being a 12 and a half, 13 point underdog or favorite. Uh, they're probably not going to be throwing the ball much. Uh, one of the things that I like to do, let's say, you know, I do like the Houston side. I like that double digit underdog side. Um, a lot of times, if you can take uh, a situation like this, where you have the double digit underdog that you're taking a position on and you're taking the under on a, a pass receiver, it's almost like getting an unofficial middle on the game because if anything, if the game script kind of falls anywhere in between there, you have the possibility of winning both. So, um, and, and you can reduce your variance. So, yeah, definitely. That's a really good tip. A way to combine two of our suggestions here to potentially hit both of them. Uh, and just to throw out one more number on that, I just went and looked at the Browns victories last year and Landry in 11 Browns victories, he went over that 67 and a half and only two of them. So even last year when he was having more of a role downfield, just because the Browns want to run the ball and because their run game is so strong when they're in a position to do that, they just don't need him to have that kind of volume in the passing game. And when he does see targets in a, when the game strips going their way, it's much more likely to be those short high percentage throws anyway, because it's likely to keep the clock moving for them. So I, I think he could go, I think he could potentially go well under that this week. If those trends that we saw in week one, hold up. Now I'll stick with another receiver here, another under, uh, this was another one that I flagged ahead of time, and I wasn't quite as excited about the line that we got, but I still like the under. It's for DJ Chark's receiving yards. Um, and this is one that I'm not going to run out and bet right away. I'll probably wait until game day to see what the line does, because the fact that he saw 12 targets for 195 air yards last week was pretty well publicized, especially in the fantasy community. Obviously, there's a lot of overlap on fantasy players and guys betting on 
player props like this too, because so much of the research is the same. So I kind of wonder if based on that number, if we could see this rise a little bit and maybe I can get a more favorable number for myself on Sunday. The reason I'm down on Chark's potential production is really because Trevor Lawrence had a rough game. Um, and according to next gen stats, they track completion percentage over expected, basically, you know, tracking like windows and whatnot, how well you're doing. And he had the worst rate in the league. It was 12 percentage points below expected. And Chark really bore the brunt of that struggles as he, of those 12 targets, he only saw five catchable targets. And based on this data from sports info solutions on those five catchable targets, it was only 92 catchable air yards. So there was over a hundred air yards in there where technically he was targeted, but he didn't even have an opportunity to make a play on the ball because Lawrence was just missing him. That stands out as something that's probably unlikely to be fixed in one week, especially when the Jaguars are taking a pretty big step up in competition level, at least on defense from the Texans to the Broncos. They might not even be able to get off the deep ball as much. So I would expect his overall air yards to go down this week, simply based on the defense that they face. And, you know, Lawrence, I think we can probably assume he's not going to just fix all those struggles in one week. So he's probably going to miss Shark and quite a few of those targets as well. So this could be a good opportunity. The number is relatively low to begin with. As I said, I'm hoping that if we wait a little bit, maybe some people who are really enamored by those, that big 195 air yard number, push it up a little bit for me so we can gain a few extra yards of cushion there. But I think that's uh, certainly a trend that we can look at for that. So let's move on now and talk about uh, tonight's game, Thursday night football. We got the Giants at Washington. Washington is favored by three and a half, I believe, in this game. Uh, Mark, do you have any sides that you like, any props? What are you thinking about for tonight's action? Oh, man, can you feel the excitement in this game? (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Oh, man. The NFL really has some stinker primetime games to start the year. Um, I don't, I think this, I think the markets are pretty correct as far as side and total goes. Uh, the one thing that I'm looking to play is, uh, Daniel Jones under on passing touchdowns. Um, I just think the price is a little bit too cheap. I'm laying like minus 180. I think it should be well over minus 200. Um, it's a low scoring game. The giants may not score a touchdown at all. I think they're like five to one to not score a touchdown tonight. Um, you know, it could be possibly a field goal fest. Um, and, you know, Jones gets injured. Well, he has been injured a few times in his career, but he takes a lot of sacks. And, uh, you know, guys who get sacked get injured. And, you know, going up against uh, Washington with that tough uh, defensive line, um, there's a chance we could get a, a cheap win where uh, somebody leaves early. I never root for people to get hurt, but I never cheer against it either. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, I'm taking Daniel Jones under one and a half touchdowns tonight. Yeah, that certainly makes sense against a strong defense, uh, against a weak offensive line. Yeah, they they could certainly struggle to move the ball tonight. Uh, one that I like this is a I'm going to go with Cameron Curls tackles under. He's a safety for Washington, and he made a name for himself as a rookie last year, late in the season when he really took over for Landon Collins. Second half of the year, he was. Uh, on the field for 98% of their defensive snaps and average 7.9 tackles per game. As a result, this number actually opened up on DraftKings at 
expecting a pretty good workload for him. It's dropped to 4.5. I still like the under at 4.5. The reason being Landon Collins is back. And for some reason, some sports books haven't noticed. <laughs> he only played 46% of the snaps in week one. Uh, he, had, he had three tackles, so he was productive on a limited snap count. But uh, in the first part of part of last season was he, when he was playing a similar uh, reserve role of getting on the field for roughly half the game. He never went over four. He never went over three tackles. So, you know, I, we, there's no reason for us to believe their game plan is going to change significantly in this game on defense. If he's playing, you know, less than half the game, it's pretty unlikely at 4.5. It's pretty unlikely he gets five tackles playing half the game, especially as you mentioned, the, the Giants defense might really struggle or the Giants offense might really struggle against this defense. They might not get a ton of possessions. Uh, and both these teams play at a pretty slow pace, especially Washington in week one. They actually play at the slowest pace in the league with a new quarterback coming in now in week two and Heineke, you know, that maybe that's another legitimate trend that emerged in week one, that maybe they want to keep playing slow. And if as expected, they're playing with a lead for a good portion of this game, obviously that would just, you know, increase the odds that they do continue that slow pace. So we may see fewer possessions back and forth in this game, which would further lead us to, which would lead us to lead the under on anyone's tackles, but especially curl, which this, you know, it, it's a little bit surprising that he's available uh, at all. Some sports books that list tackles have not even included him. Uh, obviously they noticed that he wasn't getting on the field, but uh, you know, if you're interested in betting a tackles prop, you know, it's certainly not one of the most popular props out there, but this seems like, you know, a situation where uh, his usage in week one went undetected. So shop around a little bit, see if you can maybe, you know, maybe somewhere out, somewhere out there already has 5.5. I don't know, but even at 4.5, like I said, that uh, last I checked was still on DraftKings and I'm on it. I was on it at 5.5 and again at 4.5. I think that's a, a pretty safe bet. Um, so that pretty much does it for us. Mark, you got any last words on Thursday night football for us? Yeah. So I'm really cheering for this Heineke kid. And I feel like it's been a while since we've had like a Kurt Warner or a Jake DeLome type of story where, you know, the guy was stocking shelves or playing in the European football league or whatever. And he goes from, you know, not playing the game at all to, you know, starting for a team. And, you know, he looked so good against Tampa in the playoffs last year. I was a little bummed he didn't win the starting job to start the year. So, um, you know, I'm wishing him, wishing him the best. I hope, hopefully it'll be one of those cool success stories. Yeah, it definitely could be. It's not, uh, it's not every day we get to see an old dominion quarterback take the field yeah. as a starter, certainly a unique situation for Heineke. Um, and he's got a, you know, he definitely has a support of what should be a strong defense again behind him. So he could get off to a nice one and start as Washington starter this year tonight. Uh, hope you guys enjoy the game. Hope you are able to profit off some of these suggestions we gave you today. Be sure to check back with us again next week on Thursday. We'll run through pretty much the same kind of rundown, give you some of our favorite sides, totals, and definitely a bunch of player props. Uh, catch you next week. Oh, you know, man, oh, you know, man, oh, you know, man.